Hello and welcome to this week's episode of I Was Gonna Podcast. This week's guest is John Hailstone, owner at Campello Staffing Group Limited. Good morning, John Hailstone, and thanks very much for joining us here in the I Was Gonna Podcast. It's a pleasure to meet you, John. A pleasure to meet you guys, and uh, it's good to speak to you again, Stuart, after all these years. Absolutely, John. It's been uh, quite some time. I think we just uh, said, I think it was 20 years, so it's remarkable. And it's a sunny day, so what more can we yeah. ask for? But but exactly. the first question that we'd like to ask, John, is uh, the question that we ask all our guests. Uh, and I say the same thing every single time, but uh, we expected to ask this question for four weeks, and 13 months later, we're still asking the same question. And it's just been an incredibly strange time. So the, the first question is, how have you found this unusual time during the pandemic? And what have you been doing to keep yourself busy, John? Yeah, so, um, yeah, very, very difficult uh, last year or so. And um, I was away actually on a, a skiing holiday in January when it all kicked off in, in China. and. I go away once a year with 15 of my friends and um, I just said this is we're going to have a problem here you know if, if China is uh, locking down their society and building hospitals within four days this is going to be a problem and um, and so to be honest you know the the fear of what's going to happen is is what locks everyone you know um, and um, I just felt that uh, from a business point of view, it's about protection. You know, what can we do to protect our business, keep the business secure and safe, um, and at the same time keep our chin up, really, and see see if there is a, an end, end to this whole this whole process. Um, but I actually I've actually quite enjoyed the lockdown. I've in, I've enjoyed the time with my family and my girls growing up, um, and I've tried to remain positive on that basis. I think if I can sort the business out. Um, and make sure we've got uh, everyone secure and safe and we've got a plan, it's really important to have a plan, then perhaps I can actually look back at this time with a lot of fun memories. Um, as long as we keep ourselves safe um, and, we're, and we're well, then this is probably a good time to, to, to just reflect that let's make use of this time, spending this time at home together um, and just try and avoid all this white noise in the background, you know, in the media and, um, you know, uh, the conspiracy theorists and the just this noise that's been going on for the last years, polarized opinions on both sides of the camp and uh, and try and avoid those sort of conversations, really, um, even though I have got into a few myself um, about it. But um, I'll keep those views to myself. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, again, I don't want to be in a sort of polarizing position. But, um, but yeah, it's been a strange time, a very strange time. But at the same time, I think it creates opportunities in business right now because everyone is in the same boat. Um, and therefore, it's, it is a bit of a survival of the fittest. And if you're in a competitive environment in which we're in, in our, my market, then it's an opportunity to, to, to see whether you can take market share when you come out at the, at the end. Um, and we're still in that process just now. We don't know where we're going. We think we know where we're going. Um, it's all looking very positive with the vaccine, but be prepared. There might be another another shock uh, going forward, you know. When you said you were in China, I uh, had been trying to set up a business uh, with Chinese uh, manufacturing plants. And uh, interestingly, one of the uh, colleagues that we had out in China had just talked about covid starting out in China mm -hmm. and uh, he told us about going into lockdown 
And I remember saying to him in December, you'd never get people in the UK to comply to that. <laughs> and you just can never tell what's round the corner. Yeah. So it was incredible, the fact yeah. that we did that. The, the other aspect that I would say uh, is it's interesting that you, you engaged with a plan and you said it was very important to have a plan. We spoke to a, an ex-senior sergeant in the army and he said that he had real problems with COVID when it first struck until he started to structure himself again. And it was quite yeah. strange hearing mm -hmm. somebody from that type of background, military background, that had that problem, but he just couldn't get his head around not having the freedoms that he had previously yeah. until he started to reflect and get a plan. And that's the COVID part of, of yeah. the way, John. If we can sort of move on to, to you as a person. Uh, you were educated in the UK. Can we ask you, how, how did you find your education experience? Uh, not very good to be to be fair i um i really didn't know much about school other than just turning up for school playing football and um games and you know uh, it was never really uh, built into my family that that um what education meant you know going to school getting good um, qualifications and, and then leading that onto a career um there's never any homework being done at you know, at home. I mean, the only time I can recall ever doing any homework, I must have been 15, and it was some sort of project I had to do. But it was very much just about, um, you know, finding the time to spend time with your friends. That, that's that's how I saw school. Quite a few moves. I had a, a, a few school moves, three primary schools, a high, uh, middle school and a high school. The system in, in London, where I'm from, was a little bit different in those days. And um, I don't think the system was particularly good. Um, going from one primary school and then you went to a, a middle school for four years and then you went to a, and then I went to an all boys high school a lot of disruption uh, and that's not conducive I think to good learning um, and I think most 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 good learning comes from the home in fact um, and the school and the and the parents are, 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 is really what creates a, a good good educational environment for, for kids so I've, I've, I've learned <laughs> those those lessons from my own um, disappointments at school to take that into into with my own children now um, and so I I, I, uh, I kind of focused on work really um, I think a lot a lot of people that have got their own businesses um, have been sort of self-sufficient and so I had a I was a, a milk boy when I was 10 you know I had I had milk rounds paper rounds um, you know I had two paper rounds and a milk round you know this is before you know school um, so I can earn the money and buy my bike, buy this, and and, and all the things I, ne I needed to have. Uh, and then, and then at 15, I decided, you know, that's fed up of getting up at five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. Um, and I, I saw this advert for a, a kind of canvasser. You know, this is a, and I thought it was a sort of door-to-door -door thing, but it wasn't. It was actually selling advertising space, um, and evenings and weekends. And this is for the auto trader. You know, the the car magazine people. It wasn't called the auto trader then it was the south london trader the thames valley trader and at 15 i was i was selling advertising space and um, and that's what gave me my skills that gave me the um the ability to to negotiate to communicate to deal with your own fear of of being rejected and targets and and so i i was able then to focus on that while i was at school and school was just got in the way of those evenings and weekends where i was kind of making my money and I was able to buy my, my first car, I was able to buy, you know, my holidays and 
and whatever. And, and that gave me the ability to get my first full time you know, job after school was that particular ability. <clears throat> And it was good. It was a great time. That was a brilliant time. You know, we I, I had half of my class at school into the auto trader selling advertising space, uh, and I was making a hundred hundred pounds a week. This is like nine. This is the early eighties. You know, I was fifteen. You know, the pay no tax. You know, it was it was phenomenal. Um, and so I left school with with pretty much uh, zero qualifications. Uh, I don't even think I sat. I, I think I probably sat three exams or something. Um, uh, in between bunking off and playing snooker. Um, <laughs> Again, that's a common theme, John, that, that you've just raised, that uh, Willie Hockey, one of the most uh, successful business people in Scotland, uh, a net worth of £242 million, so he's done quite well for himself, business that turns over £1.3 yeah. And he said exactly the same thing. School just it didn't press his buttons. It just wasn't something that he was interested in. doesn't yeah. mean to say he didn't have the academic abilities. It just wasn't yeah. working for him. Uh, and Ricky Nickel, again, the chap that uh, co-founded Comms World, similar type story background very similar so it's an interesting debate and i noticed that there is quite a lot of traction with regards to reflecting whether education system is working at the moment for people so it's a good point that you make there john so john if i can interject as well with students uh, what he's saying there just to build on it i mean you're in a recruitment uh, business now and given what you've just said, I mean, I think we could all share similar experiences that you find talent, not necessarily because they've got degrees. Uh, but nowadays, when you look at children um, go to university now, and especially in Scotland where the fees are still paid, but um, it's commoditized is the way it feels. Yeah. And, you know, and, and a young kid coming out with a degree, it may be an entry ticket to something. But it doesn't necessarily say they've got talent. That's and right. so the people who don't get a degree uh, may feel like they've been ostracised to some degree. So they're lower down than the commodity. And it's just something that uh, that we think we need to tackle a little bit as well. Of course, we're never going to change the education system from our perspective. But the people who have got that hang up, um, either they've came out of that commodity think I've got a degree somebody should be giving me a job but I can't find one or I don't feel confident enough to get one or I, I don't have a degree I'm, I'm left out I don't think I can get one because I'm not qualified so that that kind of inertia that sits in those sort of people at that late teens to early 20s mm -hmm. is, is a stone that's hard to move so yeah. just thinking, you know, uh, given you what you're saying with your experience and what you're, you're saying there, what's your views on this? Yeah, a, a lot of it comes down to drive, um, individual drive, individual belief um, systems. You know, that 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 I had that I had that as a child. Um, it came from my childhood, my the, the, my parents breaking up when I was really young. Um, this kind of self-awareness, you know, of, of, you know, people aren't going to do it for you. You've got to do it for yourself. Uh, so it doesn't matter what educations you have. It's not even really about the degree. And, and in fact, if you have a degree, um, you know, what makes you better than somebody else? What can make you achieve more to be, to stand out? So that comes from belief and confidence and, 
and being self-assured. It, it, it's, you know, so it doesn't matter what your education is, you know, as long as you're intelligent and you have that emotional intelligence and it being self-reflective, the, that's to me is the key to anyone's uh, success in life is being to, able to self-reflect, look in the mirror and actually ask you those difficult questions about whether you believe in yourself, whether you, um, you know, you have that talent. And most people have lots of hang ups about confidence over, you know, they've got issues with themselves in some way, shape or form. Everyone has it. You know, we all have it. Self-doubt, etc. But if you can push through that and have a lot of self-confidence and be realistic at the same time, but also believe in what you're capable of doing um, and be, you know, just be considerate to others and have this emotional intelligence. I always think the emotional intelligence is the key thing. Then you'll go far in life because then it doesn't matter about whether you, you know, you're going to be happy in, in, in many ways, whether you want to be a school teacher, whether you want to be an entrepreneur, whether you want to be um, have your own cleaning company, whether you want to be a great joiner. If you've got this um, pride in your own ability and your, your confidence and your self-assured and self-belief, you'll be the best at what you can be. And that's what, what makes people successful is, is they have this belief. They want to be the best. They want to be great at what they're doing. And one of the, one of the things that I learned from my father was, look, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And that's it. And that's stuck with me for life. Mm. Don't do anything half-hearted, you know, because you can't feel good about yourself if you only do a half a job on something. Um, and I think that's the key thing, really, for me. If you if you can put those values across to kids at school um, so they're not wasting their life, you know, they're not wasting those early years, um, then, um, then they'll go on to be very successful in life and they'll be great adults and great citizens, yeah. really. I, th I think the emotional intelligence comment, uh, fear, and, and, and those of us who have been involved in either grooming talent at a managerial level or leadership um, can, can understand that, that, that whole subject. Not necessarily saying we're best at it, though, but uh, yeah. I think the young, the young ones, uh, I, I, I fully agree with what you're saying there. But the, the most important thing for me on an emotional intelligence, so, so an audience listening to this would be self-awareness is something that we don't necessarily um, teach very well. So actually yeah. it's something interesting to, to younger people. Because mm -hmm. the number of adults that have uh, been involved with training or whatever, who are not self-aware, yet they're pretty responsible people because they, they come across maybe uh, overzealous or foolish in certain ways, but they don't actually mean to hurt people, but they do. Yeah, uh, and they're yeah. not self-aware. That's an extreme example. But the young ones, um, I think there's I think there's some uh, meat on the bone there yeah. that says yeah. maybe that's a key element. Yeah, and also you know, ha, you know, not having arrogance, you know, having your feet on the ground. You know, I've, I've always had my feet on the ground. I've been in my industry, you know, I've been very successful, but I don't go around shouting that off, you know, because I could lose it all tomorrow. And I've been in many positions before over the last 34 years of recruitment of, of you know, potentially losing everything and giving up the career. And so as soon as you start bragging, as soon as you start, being flash and and whatever then then it's only going to bite you it's going to bite you yeah. back big time and you know i don't i don't want to teach my kids that kind of arrogance i want them to be the best they can be and i want them to be competitive 
you know, and, and that, and I'm very competitive. I'm super competitive, but at the same time, you know, I've got my feet on the ground, and I realise I could lose this all tomorrow. You know, so mm-hmm. therefore, you know, um, being self-aware of that's that's being self-aware. You know, it's um, so, a, a really great point. Again, uh, we we spoke to uh, Pat Nevin as uh, one of the guests a couple of weeks ago. And we, we we were having a laugh because I was going as a colloquial Scottish term. We were also using gallusness, and in yeah. some respects, he said I felt gallus when I was on the football field. And he said that wasn't an arrogance. Yeah. And he he actually said gallusness is about having the confidence that matches the ability. And yeah. I, I I would entirely go along with that that you've yeah. got to have that pride in your ability. Yeah, in 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 that physical world, you know, on a football pitch, you know, in anything of that type of sport, you need to have super confidence and you need to have this gallusness. You've got to have your your chin up and your shoulders back, and and you you've got to be that you've got to be aggressive to 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 get your results. Otherwise, you'll get pushed around yeah. off the pitch. Um, in business, though, I think you've you've got to be you know this, in my industry, and I see it in lots. You know, they get a taste of success uh, and they start bragging. They start making these, you know, unfounded sort of uh, targets of what they're going to be and they're going to take over the world. And invariably, it doesn't happen, you know. And um, and the thing is, you, you can only if you've got a business, you can only achieve your success comes from the people that you employ. You know, you've got it's all well and good having great ideas and a plan. But you can't achieve your success unless you achieve it through other people. So it's how you treat other people. It's uh, and therefore you've got to then look at yourself to make sure that people buy into you. What do I have to be for people to buy into me and believe me? And one of the, the other lessons I've learned is that I've always thought that business is just a game. It's like you know, it's a game. It's just a it's just a very complicated board game in any particular industry sector that you're in, whether you're in finance, whether you're in construction, whether you're in recruitment. You've got to learn the game and be the best at it. And if you can step yourself out of how you feel about what you're doing and all the challenges of day to day life of people joining and leaving and disappointment and great things happening. If you can step out of that and just look at it as a game. And then you can work out how best to play it. You then set your your everything around that. And so that's how I've always done my done well in business is that I've, I've just treated it as a game in this kind of brutal fashion in some ways. But it, you have to. Um, otherwise, you, you're not going to win. You're not going to compete. Um, and so one of those things is to look at yourself and say part of this game is how I conduct myself as a person. Uh, making sure that you reward people correctly you treat people fairly um and at the same time that you you overcome your own fears about leadership about in trying to inspire people you know that's what good leaders are you know they they, they they've got a vision they've got a the story to tell and they've got a journey they want to take people on and people buy into that um and so that's that's what i try and do um and it's how you also deal with the problems as well um, I see silver lining in a lot of these clouds, and I've had a I've had a few challenges over the years. That's for sure. Um, and I'm, I'm still I'm still here, whereas a lot of my competitors over the last 34 years just just have gone. You know, they've all gone. 
Um, there's, only, there's only a few of us left from the from the 80s, I think. You know, when I started. Um, Absolutely. I, I, was, I think you make a great point there, though, John. Sorry for interrupting, and yeah. I know that Colin I want to uh, speak about it just before we reflect back on you personally. But from a business perspective, it's it's interesting that you're saying about it is all about people. We mentioned it right at the very beginning, and Colin has always advocated that any business is all down to the people and how you manage those people. But I think if I can just talk about it in a simple principle, uh, just to get John's uh, ideas. But I mean, if you take the sporty analogy, these days when someone scores a goal, they can't immediately celebrate. They look at the linesman. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> they look at the referee, they're looking for far. Yeah. Yeah, we can celebrate. It's a bit like David Marshall made that penalty save to Scotland to qualify for the Euros. And everybody was like static for a few minutes <laughs> to say, can we celebrate? Oh, yeah, we can. Okay. And yeah. so you realise it's amazing how you can condition people by just changing the rules. Yeah. Um, and, and the interesting thing, of course, you know, we've I've seen through, it's almost like each decade you go through, you start talking about the next generation. Whether it's, uh, you know, the X generation of uh, millennials and, and so on. And there's attitudinal differences. But somehow they go through this education system and they still have these missing ingredients that, we, mm. that we're talking about. Some soft skills they're missing and some self-awareness. And having to, the ability to, to try to um, balance between celebrating uh, success Having a, a feel of, of bravery, at the same time, having the right measure of modesty, but don't let modesty overtake you to the point you're too shy and yeah. actually let yourself be known. And there's, I've found through the years, especially where we come from, um, that's been short in supply because we don't like to brag. And, and we had a society, certainly in our generation, John, in the early years, yeah. where what happened to us is that you were great for being good once, but if you were good twice, you, you don't want to be seen to be showing off. Yeah. So it was kind of clamped down. So we didn't celebrate people continuously succeeding and in case they looked too much better than others. Yeah. So they had, the, they had that, that was holding us back. But it's still, to some degree, still there in society, especially in Scotland. It's just poor yeah. for it. But people who then move out, uh, or move around to move internationally, we become more aware that we're actually better than we think we are. Absolutely. Because we're not as bad as we said we were about ourselves. Yeah. And then we, therefore our confidence grows. Yeah. And the international experience for me certainly awakened me more to who I really was and then gave me better opportunities. The other thing that, that's important with that is you have to, if you are a leader, with young ones that you're trying to bring in to develop them, you have to be selfless. There's an awful lot of selfish leadership these days, and these guys are booming bust, just like that, that bunch of Egypts that had that carry on with the Super League. These guys thought yeah. they had to just carry it through. Of course, yeah. they, could, they couldn't. But they weren't bringing the people with them. They weren't bringing the young oh, ones through. Just, think. just a cra crazy that they never consulted the fans. Yeah. But what, what I'm saying is you've still got those types of people out there. Yeah, but the the better quality of uh, leadership and building a pipeline for talent is that unselfishness that's yeah. needed 
It doesn't mean that you don't get, you gain because you build better people. And if you're in a business, then you hope that the business is more successful. So you're inherently investing the right way in the business. Yeah. So that's just some views that, in my experience, just playing it back to you, John. But I'd like to hear yeah. Well, well, the, looking at the Super League, I mean, that's them lacking emotional intelligence. You know, they're not thinking about the fans. They're not thinking about the other person, you know, and if you want to be successful in sales and you want to negotiate and you want to be able to influence people, you've got to put yourself in their shoes. You've got to understand about what are they actually thinking? Um, because if I don't understand what they're thinking, how can I then influence them? How can I get them on board? Uh, and th- and that's where the the ar- you know, arrogance lets people down is that is that they don't they only think of themselves, they only think about what they want, and they don't actually understand actually in in this party, you know, the only way we're going to get something done here is if both are happy about it. And so you can only be uh, you can only give the other uh, party what they want or close to what they want if you understand what it is they're looking for and you can then start to that's what selling's about that's what negotiating is about and that's what recruitment's about that's what the people element is you know when i advise candidates and also you know uh, when they go for job interviews i always say to them you know you've got to understand what they want what are they looking for what are their fears what are they what are they hoping to achieve by this appointment You've got to give them your understanding of that. You've got to you've got to eat that out of them. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to show them that you're the right person for that job, and you can you can get them out of trouble, or you can achieve the things that they want to that they want. I need trust as well, you know. So 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 that's where I that that that's why I think I've su- I've succeeded in my own industry is because of the kind of self awareness that I had as a child. Um, based on on kind of uh, you know uh, parenting and um, some issues at, at at home over the years you know as a, as a young boy losing my my mother and, and whatever and stuff like that and um, and just having a difficult upbringing you know having self awareness and being analytical around that allows you then to, if you apply that skill to every aspect of business walk of life then you can you can then start to get things done. Because you understand where the other person is in this in this whole yeah. thing, um, and so we do that in in recruitment, which is a, a human. I see <clears throat> recruitment as a bro, it's a human broken sort of role. You've got your client and you've got your candidate, and we're in the middle of that. And I've got to make sure that these two people, um, you know, get on well, and they both want each other to do to do a particular job. And so I then that's the advisory aspect of it. And so you've got to have empathy. You've got to have emotional intelligence from both parties to understand what they want. And you can then get a good match. Um, and then hopefully you can turn your candidate into a winner to secure that job. And that and that's that's what recruiters are, are there to do um, is to make sure clients get the talent they need and keep the candidates believing that they have that. Uh, they can just turn the cv that they have into into sort of a magical um, sales pitch really john can we uh, just just ask a bit more about yourself uh, but yeah. i'm curious now with regards to your career advice 
Uh, yeah. Did you get any career advice? I know that you said that you were selling, uh, you were being entrepreneurial at a very young age, at 15, you were making £100 a week, which is incredible yeah. money that you were doing. But did yeah. you have any career advice or did you know at that point no. uh, any ideas what you wanted to do as a, 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 from um, an employment perspective? I saw my father was successful. You know, he worked in the insurance industry and, um, you know, just a, he was a typical man of, of his time, you know. Um, you never really spoke to him at night and quite strict, very strict, in fact, you know, a lot of discipline um, in there. So I saw this successful guy in the city and, um, no, I just um, I, I just wanted to be self-sufficient as a, as a child. I wanted, I wanted to make money. I wasn't prepared to wait on the 30p pocket money a week you know I, I, I wanted things for it and um and I, I I just I just learned very early on that if I can go out there and work and make money I can buy the things that I I need um and so that's what I what I focused on and from working at the auto trader you know I mean I was I went for this job interview and this chap said to me have you ever sold before and I I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. And I says, what, what do you mean? And he says, well, I need to see if you can, if you can, if you can sell something. And he said to me, sell me that ashtray and in front, because this is when obviously people used to smoke in their offices. Um, thank God that's finished. And I, and I, I was like stumped. I was like, oh my God, what, what do I say here? And, and I just said to him, oh, do you smoke? And he says, uh, no, I don't smoke. And I, and I was thinking more and I was thinking more. And I said, um, but you have meetings with people, don't you? Yes. And they smoke, so you need an ashtray. And that was it. That's all he wanted me to, to – that's all he wanted to hear was, was I able to think this through, this kind of conundrum, this bit of a problem-solving thing? And that was it after that. And uh, he says, right, you can, you can, you'll be able good at sales and gave me a script and says, there's the phones and you've got to now sell advertising space to people in the exchange and market who've got Ford Capri for sale and get them to – to sell, uh, you know, a single spot at nine pounds and a double spot at eighteen pounds and a king spot at thirty-six, and you get a photographer to go around to the house, and that was it, you know. And um, it was it was phenomenal, and I picked it up quite quick. And as I say, I got half my class in the in the auto trader, and two years of doing that. Then I left school, and I managed to get a, a job interview working in 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 the city as a marine insurance broker. And the the director that interviewed me, um, he interviewed me because. Of a, of a connection that my mother had with this business. Um, so I, I was lucky, you know, I got l absolutely lucky. I got in and um, he said to me, he was only 34 and he was, a, he was a director in the city working at Lloyd's of London, very traditional, you know, um, uh, environment. You know, people called me, sir, I called them, sir. And, you know, the church brogues and the pinstripe suit, you know, it was that type of environment. You've seen the Lloyd's building on The Apprentice, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite a phenomenal place. And he, he asked me about my story and I, I told him about what I'd been doing and told him I didn't really do well at school. And he wasn't interested in the school. He says, we need people like you. He says, this is, is fascinated about the selling aspect and making this money. Um, and, um, you know, letters of commendation from John Modeski, who was the chairman of, of Auto Trader. And, um, and so he just says, we need more people like you in the city. You've got the job. Um, in fact, what he did, is he gave me a book to read, which was a, with Lloyd's Register of Ships and asked me basically my opinion of, of what, what they were. And I just gave him my view of what these different ships were and what they did and how they, where they traveled and what the risks might be. And, and that was it. And he said, you've got the job. And um, two, within six months, I had an assistant and 
I had a full portfolio to broke uh, around the Lloyds of London. Um, and it was, it was an amazing time. That was absolutely got to meet Margaret Thatcher. And, you know, it was a really fascinating place to work in and um, very uh, scary as well. I mean, I used to turn up for, uh, for work, absolutely bricking it um, because of this. I mean, it, I mean, seriously, you know, I, I was a 17, 18 year old boy and I'm in the city and I've, I've got these very important people um asking me about 50 million pound insurance risks and i and you know it was real uh, really difficult very very difficult there were times i used to go home absolutely in bits um and but i you know i thought i've got to i've got to do i've got to do this i've got to i've got to get over this fear um and uh, so yeah, in, that, that, in our sense then john is that is that uh, in the deep end and yeah the past? yeah because I think that's something that good thing. some people are scared of uh, and, and others welcome it. But it's it's funny, most people I've seen who get a shot at it, there are people who are scared of it when you do it to them. Yeah. It actually makes success. They, it breeds from there. And you there do. Others who just get shattered, who just cannot yeah. handle it. So it's very clear then that yeah. that happens. I mean, adversity is a good thing to overcome, you know, and I, I do think it shapes people. You know, if you've got diff mm. difficult childhood or you've got adversity in some way, shape or form, it makes you stronger. It can break some people and that's when you have mental health issues and they need to, people need support around that. Um, but um, it can be a good thing. It can be, if it's channeled well, it can be a good thing. And, and in some ways, you know, I've been very lucky that I had that exposure. I had those, uh, you know, difficult childhood experiences because that is what shaped myself to be very confident about succeeding and, and um, you know, and, and just having this belief that I can achieve something. I never wanted to work for somebody really, you know, I always wanted to do my own thing, um, be my own person and, uh, and whatever. So, um, yeah, so I mean, I've had a you know a few few problems, and then I, when I moved up to Scotland um, in '86, I was 19. I met a Scots girl in London, and uh, she happened to be from Glasgow, and I didn't even have any clue where Glasgow was at the time. I have to say, um, I mean, I'm from London, you know, for God's sake, you know, we don't know we don't know there is anything else outside of London. That's uh, because Leeds United were winning the championship. Well, I was a Wimbledon supporter, so um, I, yeah, I used to I used to watch Wimbledon as a boy. Um, yeah. I, I like I like the underdog. I always I always tend to go for the underdog um, but uh, yeah the dons were a fantastic what a story yeah. what a story yeah. that is um uh, Vinny, Vinny I, well i saw them in the southern league alan cork you know in the early days um and in fact they got beat by leeds 5-2 in the fa cup but that was a that was a good a good game i mean they, they showed people that they could achieve, and that was in the day when you uh, you know you got voted into the league into fourth division. You know it wasn't an automatic spot um, which they get now, um, and it was just a phenomenal period of time watching this little team just just destroy people, destroy the big destroy the big uh, the big uh, you know the big teams like Manchester United and Liverpool, and then obviously Vinnie Jones and Fashion U and the whole crazy gang came along and uh, yeah I got to see them in the FA Cup final against Liverpool and get that win 
it was fantastic it was the most amazing time of my life yeah. so, so john can we take take you back you, you you mentioned that you were in marine insurance yeah you then sort of uh, took the transition over to recruitment what took you across to recruitment if i can ask yeah so i um when i met the scots girl she she her father worked uh, at singer factory in clyde bank clyde and bank, he, yeah. he had a head angina and um he wasn't very well and she said look i can't leave him and i said well i'll move up to scotland then so then he can't, you can't do that so you know my friends and my family and you know the chairman of the company you know took me out for lunch to try and convince me you know you're you're, you're going places here you know you're 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 dead cert for a directorship role when when you're in your early 20s and and i says no i'm, I'm moving to glasgow i don't care I'm moving up there and um, I really enjoy it. I, I visited maybe three times in the West End and just enjoyed the place. Um, very, very different, exciting, very exciting place, Glasgow in the, in the mid 80s, really. Uh, and um, and I was just determined to prove everyone wrong that I can I can do this. So I gave up my friendship, my friends, I gave up my life and um, I moved up to Glasgow. Um, not with her anymore, I'm, unfortunately you know people move on i was quite young i was only 19 and um, i moved into into recruitment just by chance i responded to some adverts you know for for sales people i uh, went into a recruitment company and and this is interesting actually because this this uh, thing about being in scotland where they you know you you're told oh no you you know you can't you can't do this you can't do that um I did notice that when I moved up to Glasgow, um, yeah. you know, in London, we're told you can do, you go and achieve, you know, go and get the money, get a car, get a job, get a house. I, I found that very different up in Scotland. Um, yeah. People couldn't believe that I was this 19 year old boy earning the amount of money I was earning and the success I had in the job that I did. They were giving me interviews for an administrator or, a, you know, yeah. kind of. Uh, and I found that quite difficult, actually, you know, and um, and the first, I managed to get an interview with an insurance broker in Glasgow and I asked the manager how long he'd been doing this job and he'd been doing it for 25 years. And and, and, and I was like, I, I was shocked, <laughs> I was shocked. And I said, there was no point in going into insurance in, in Scotland. It's just, this is a, a dead end job. So I went into a recruitment company and the, and they just, they liked what they heard. And they says, you know, would you want to, would you do this? And and I just thought, hold on, this is quite similar to what I was doing before. You know, I, I used to have underwriters that underwrote the risk. I had the ship owners that owned the ships and I was the middleman. And I thought, well, this is the same for clients and candidates. I'm the middleman. And I felt that I could use those those kind of broken skills in, in the people world. And so, yeah, so I, I went for this job interview and um, and I, I stayed only three months. I, I hated the organization. I hated the way they treated people. Um, it just wasn't what I expected. Um, it was nothing that they, they made out that it was. And I was then asked to, to do a startup. I was headhunted by a... Uh, manager from another branch of this same company who heard of some things that I was doing and, and I, I did a startup with a company called Midas Recruitment um, and the boss that hired me was fired after three months and it was just me in this room literally it was just me in this room with the two owners that lived in that lived in this other office running this other business and uh, and they says right John here's a, a, here's a, a file a deck of cards these are these companies phone them up 
and see if you can get jobs on and find candidates for them and just tell them that it's Andrew and, uh, you know, and these are clients of mine. And I, everyone I phoned up hadn't heard of, hadn't heard of this guy. <laughs> and I'm locked in this room with no windows. I'm locked in this room with no windows. And I'm, I'm thinking, what the hell have I got myself into? And I just said, no, I'm not going to let this defeat. I'm going to crack on. I'm just going to keep doing this. And, uh, and then another person joined the company and the two of us managed to turn things around and we just carried on and carried on. And, and then within uh, about you know a couple of years, we grew the business, got an office in Aberdeen, and um, but things weren't right in the relationship between the owners of the business, and um, and I decided to set up my own recruitment company at 23 with um, one of the chaps who was a good friend of mine who I brought into the business, um, and that was my first lesson in in business, uh, uh, as in a really. Di- I, I, he died of a heart attack within six months of us setting up the company. And, oh, um, and wow. I, had to, I had to go and I, I identify him at the, mo- at the, at the morgue, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was a very, very, very difficult, difficult time because things were flying. We're doing great. You know, we had a little bit of money behind us. Um, we're about to buy a couple of cars. We had a, a car dealer chap turn up at the office in the morning. We do a meeting, the two of us and John namesake you know he he was normally in before me i've made him a cup of tea and uh yeah uh, half an hour you know where the hell's john you know knock on the door police arrived you know do you know john um farmer his name was and i says yeah and he says unfortunately he, he died of a heart attack just 200 yards from your office um, oh yeah. yeah this 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 is a life lesson i tell you yeah. um and he said uh, and they just and i, I just thought it was uh, jeremy beadle in the background just having a, you know someone kidding me on and so he took me he said we need to just go down to the morgue to identify him because we, we we can't get hold of any any next of kin so i said okay he sent me total shock and there there's there's john on on the slab you know, and that's exactly what it is you know it, it was it's brutal and um then get sent back to the back to the office and dropped back off at the office and you know the the reception all in tears and it was a very difficult time and then you know my phone's ringing candidates clients his his girlfriend oh it was horrendous I remember sitting there with my head you know my hands thinking what the hell am I supposed to do and um I couldn't even tell his girlfriend that uh, he had had died you know it was it was it was it was shocking so that was it really we kept I kept things going and um and then I realized uh I needed to 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 shut the business because I I was doing it for really for the wrong reasons you know um so he was uh, he was buried and his his ashes were scattered at Partick Thistle right in the center circle (laughs) which was great i sponsored the the match day program and uh, did all that sort of stuff and and that was it so because of that lesson you know nothing i've ever any challenge i've ever had after that is nothing in in comparison to what i experienced then um and i just thought oh well, this isn't about me i just this is about him it's about his family you know I, I can pick up another job it's not a problem you know and stop being so self kind of you know stop being a kind of potential victim and all this because i was thinking to myself christ why me you know on all, all of that but uh, but ultimately you know um you know here's a chap who lost his life through health reasons and he had no idea that he had um 
a metabolic, you know, cholesterol issue. And um, the amount of times we walked back from the office and he had to take a breather because he thought he had indigestion. Um, it's amazing, you know. Um, I'll say to anyone: if you if you think you've got indigestion, you've got heartburn, and it's and it's going on for some time, you're gonna go and get your heart checked out. There's a, there's, a, there's a high percentage of people are walking around with defects. They don't know anything about it until it's too late. He's only 37 as well, you know. He's quite a young guy. So um, so that's my lesson there. It doesn't matter whether I've been in a recession, COVID doesn't matter nothing in business could ever be chucked at me that could could ever ever come close to to, to trying to turn that situation around um and so yeah that was it it's a bit well, of the a, main bit thing of a... is john you did turn that around yeah so i think because i'm just thinking about the young uh, people that we we are hoping to to help some of them might feel despair and feel a bit hopeless yeah and just kind of like say well what's the point so, but the point is, you picked yourself up from that. Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, it's a, a big life lesson, a life experience that you'll never forget. But you picked yourself up. And I think that's the big lesson here, is how you then move forward. Yeah. So, yeah, tell us exactly. a bit about that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, in terms of the, the, the challenges thereafter, you know, you, you the next challenge I had was um, going to another recruitment company being self-employed it was a recession on at the time in 1990 and just you just got paid you know when you had success you know there was no salary and and um so that in itself was a challenge but I, I just every time I've ever had a challenge like that you know I've always looked back at that time and went if I could if I could pick myself up through you know during that period of time then this isn't going to be really an issue you know and and just see where the positives might come from it um I mean, a lot of people, you know, mental health is a big topic at the moment, a big, big topic. Um, and for all the right reasons, um, I don't know, it just comes from self belief No one, you, people can get all the support they can get and it's still not enough. And I think ultimately it comes from within. You've got to have this belief in yourself and this kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, really. You know, um, when you've dealt with adversity uh, and you've got this belief and you want to sort of, I don't know, you just want to do the right thing. You know, you want to do the right thing. And um, and that's it. So the next re recession, 1990. And then I went to this KFJ where obviously I, I met Stuart um, and, um, you know, made them a success. And then I turned their business from nothing into uh, a very, very successful business with the, um, becoming their MD, offered shares, a stake in the business. Uh, and then suddenly that was taken away from me because they sold out to NRG, which is the other recruitment firm. And they were very brutal about it, brutal about the treatment of people and, um, and I think, you know, you've got to treat people well. You've got to treat people with respect. You've got to treat people how you want yourself to be treated. Don't suffer fools gladly. Be kind and be considerate. But at the same time, you have to be ruthless. You know, I'm, I'm not afraid to get, um, to get what I would say aggressive in a competitive world if I've got to protect myself in a legal basis. You know, I've had many legal things thrown at me over the years. NRG was a good example of that. I had a dawn raid in my office. The intimidation was through the roof. 
Um, and, um, you know, you've got, if you, if you, if you're a fighter in that respect, you know, then you just don't let, you know, that's another thing my dad used to say to me is, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. I know this is a corny, corny kind of, um, bit of advice, but it's true. You know, I never let people walk over me and I try and teach anyone I know, um, never allow that to happen because unfortunately it's that we're living in a brutal world, you know, and, and, and it is, and, and work is, is also brutal. You know, people get laid off at the drop of a hat. Corporates have got no interest in individuals. It's about the numbers. And, um, and so to be a survivor, you've, you've got to have self-belief and, um, but at the same time, don't ever lose your values. Don't ever lose your morals. You know, don't ever treat just because people have treated you in a bad way. And I've had lots of people, you know, do the wrong thing. You know, that, that you, you give people things, you give them shares, you give them equity, you give them opportunity and they lie and cheat their way uh, uh, to try and get something else. Or they, they leave, they try and steal your database to try and steal your clients they, and all of those things. And this happens. It's just life. Um, but you've just got to make sure that you you fight your way out of that corner and um, and you go on the front foot and you take it to them. And and so that's that's kind of part of my fighting spirit in terms of business. And, but at so, the same time, never, ever lose those values and morals. I always say to people, just because people have let you down before doesn't mean that you've got to act any differently to the next person. Doesn't mean you don't trust every person I hire. I trust 100 percent. I never have a kind of question mark over anybody I hire in my business. I trust them 100%. And it's only if things go wrong that I will then treat that person differently or I'll act differently. But I won't act differently to anybody else. You know, um, I never, I'll never do that. I don't think it's right. So, it's an interesting analogy that I use uh, just for when, when people become faced with adversity, it's, uh, start to wonder whether adults lose what we had as children. And I use the analogy of learning to ride a bike. When you learn to ride a bike, and I, 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 I watched my son when he was growing up riding a bike and falling off the bike, and he would get back on the bike because he wanted yeah. to ride the bike. But the analogy obviously is that it hurts. It's sore yeah, when you fall off a bike. You can easily <laughs> just walk away from that. Yeah. And in some respects, as a child, you'll do it. You'll, you'll take the knocks and you'll get back on and just dust yourself down and get yeah. on with it. Whereas yeah. as an adult, you've got an awful tendency to say, I can't do it, and I'll just walk away from it. Yeah. And I just wonder if there is a thing that we, as adults, we, we fear that aspect of falling off a bike. I think, I think so, yeah. I think for sure, you know, uh, it's just, you know things, are di- things are difficult. You know, things aren't easy, you know, whether it, uh, you know, for bringing up families, you know, having your first home, you know, getting a career and a job and, and, and all of those things. And and if you're working in a very competitive environment, which we are, particularly as a sales-led organization, your competitors are, and, and people are constantly trying to, to bring you down. They're constantly trying to get one over you in terms of your, 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 the market that you're in and, and, and whatever. And you've just got to rise above it. You've got to rise above it and be a survivor. And you've got to you know, I, I don't know. I think I think parents, for me, you know, have got a duty to a responsibility to their to their kids of teaching them the rights and wrongs. Of uh, I think we're missing that. You know, I think uh, things are just too easy to be thrown away just now with social media and everything's uh, easy to buy, easy to get rid of, and um, we, we, we've lost those kind of 
standards and values, I think, and, and particularly in business, actually, you know. I mean, I remember, you know, in the old days, if somebody had more than two jobs in five years, they were discounted. You couldn't even, you couldn't put them forward to a job. Now, it, it doesn't matter if someone's had six jobs in six months. Companies are so desperate to hire people that that they that uh, that they those those kind of values go out out the window for profit for for growth for for whatever and i i do sometimes think that um you know this 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 desire to constantly keep growing and growing and growing um you know is is what's causing the problem um you know why can't people just be you know happy with a two percent growth or three percent growth because it then it then forces these these decisions on companies to then make all the wrong ones to be fair and they you know they can lay off lay off people like a drop of a hat <clears throat> and uh, I, I think that's all wrong i think the they don't the, the long term the view is seems to have gone it's all short term now you know it's all very John, short term can i take you back because we, we, we've almost got to first people solutions and i'd like to hear yeah. some more about yeah. first people <clears throat> solutions but if, if you went to kfg you did a very good job there and made a lot of money nrg took over and you, yeah. you, you told us the story of it being a very brutal takeover uh, but from a perspective of that came the the, the foundings of first people yeah. solutions <clears throat> can you tell us some more about how that came about and yeah. where you so, are now with first yeah. people solutions where we are now well it's it's moved on from from there 20 years ago that's for sure so um <laughs> so basically they bought the company over let let me down and i thought this is the time now to take this opportunity and and, and move and and i thought this was, was an opportunity actually it meant i could create my own business um i didn't have any 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 problems with the type of business i wanted to create you know the type of organization that i wanted to build um and therefore people followed from that people from that company followed they joined uh because they believed in in what i was going to do um, and so i built the business up on the basis that I wanted to create a an organization that uh, wasn't just about me it was about uh, directors and other managers and giving people an equity stake making sure that we could sp spread the ownership across the business because I felt that the more people I've got on board uh, the more people that have a stake and this is what I think all businesses should be doing is they should be giving their, empl their employees ownership or at least the key workers in their business ownership because that protects the company going forward it creates consistency and you can then build out from there and um so we we was on a sort of meteorite rise you know up until 2010 and we opened up offices across the uk and you know really became one of the big players quite quickly um which was fantastic it was a brilliant time winning all sorts of awards and and, and what have you and uh, and then we hit that recession of 2009 uh, 2008 2009 and the whole thing imploded and at the time i saw my business you know disappearing overnight you know i went from 160 staff down to about 90 i had to make some really difficult decisions but then i sort of sat back had a look at the whole thing again took myself out of it and went well what what can i how can i actually what can i get from this what can i do from this that that going forward that can maybe be different what's the industry going to look like after the recession um, and I then thought, what I now need to do is actually create a completely different business model and set up standalone recruitment businesses and giving people 
a greater share in the organization, creating a separate board of directors within that umbrella group. So basically the company is now called Compello Staffing Group. And within that, there are recruitment businesses that all specialize in their particular fields, which allowed them to, to be a lot more focused on their customers, focused on their candidates, creating a business that suited their particular market sector and their industry and also to run it in a way that best suits their industry sectors that they're in and to give their people more shares and more opportunity. And so it's very much a kind of um, multi sort of grouped organization now. Um, and But that came out of this difficult time of the recession and the business was about to go bust. And, um, and I felt this was now the time to create this new model. And so they always think there's a silver line in the cloud, you know, and now, you know, we're going through another, we'll be going through another journey post COVID. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we've, we've created these standalone businesses. We've looked at in, gone internationally. Um, you know, we worked across lots of different sectors. Um, yeah, lots of business lessons, which would take too long to, to go through really in terms of how I approached our market, you know, and, um, and, and, and that type of thing. But uh, yeah, it's all been well, quite one uh, One question good. just specific then on that, that John. Of course, I, I was looking at your background. And so you've, you've had a couple of those P&Ls, let's call them that, the businesses that uh, you've got nursing partnership and social care community partnership. Yeah. How has that been uh, given the current environment? So is yeah. That, has that been different? Is that changing? Is uh, booming? Yeah. Or what is it? What's happening? Um, it's been very challenging, naturally, because we supply nurses and care workers into the care sector um, and care homes. And obviously, with COVID last year, you know, it was a, a real challenge, um, you know, obviously, because of uh, uh, cross uh, contamination and, and transfer of the disease between from workers going into care homes yeah that's been very very difficult um very difficult indeed and um yeah i've got lots of uh, lots of views about the government's poor handling of covid and particularly into the care homes sending you know uh, people from the hospitals back into the care homes i mean anyone in their right mind would know that if you transfer someone with that type of viral disease into a care home environment it's going to spread like wildfire i mean it's just common sense would tell you that any any person who has an ounce of sort of um common sense would know that a viral pathogen is going to be spread in an enclosed space like that particularly vulnerable elderly people so yeah i've got a real problem about how the government handled that without getting too political um and it's yeah. easy to look it's easy to have hindsight but that's not a hindsight thing that's pretty obvious you know yeah. with their with their specialist skills and knowledge and expertise of that john, you know? john john can i just ask though more uh, targeted on yeah. how you attract attract people to the uh, to recruit people into that, that that's what yeah. was interesting I think we all know the debate yeah. both uh, the national and, and the local so governments have made with this, yeah. but more more importantly, that's a business. That well, that's made saved. it even harder to hire people, though, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's made it even harder to hire people because they don't, yeah. you know, they're not given the same respect, um, particularly agency staff, agency workers. They're not given the same respect as, as you know, permanent NHS staff. 
you know, they never got the bonus of 500 pounds, you know, yeah. and so it's hard to attract people in. And, and um, you know, I know dentists that are earning hundreds of thousands of pounds, they're professional people, they got 500 pound bonus. What for? What for? You know, wh wh why? It just just so crazy, crazy yeah. ideas about things. So it's very difficult. You know, it's very difficult to to uh, and, and a lot of these people have got second jobs. Some of them work in the NHS and they have to then do part time hours because they're, they're underpaid or they're not. You know, it's very, very, very difficult. You know, the, the care sector industry. And um, I've got a very good team. Um, my managing director is so passionate about the industry sector. I'm not actively involved in it. I very much have got an arm's length supportive element. I'm a chairman of that business. Um, I let Maureen O'Neill and her team team run that. Um, you know, the, it's, a, it's a care commission licensed organization. So there's lots of high standards we would adhere to. Um, but recruiting staff is is tricky. It's very, very difficult. And, um, you know, we can we can only do so much in terms of pay rates and scales and support and training um, and creating a community. Um, but it's it's not without its challenges, but it's coming out of the it's coming out the other side now, which is good. You know, we're starting to see some stability mm -hmm. in that sector. And hopefully that will allow us to attract um, good quality nurses in, into that into that space. Yeah, John. John, just when you were talking, to to to, to use your phrase, the uh, silver lining in the clouds. Yeah. That we are now beginning to see some light at the end of the tunnel of COVID with the vaccine coming on, and as a consequence of that, Tom Hunter, Tom Hunter and yeah. his foundation <laughs> has uh, just put out uh, a report regarding increasing the economy whilst we've got the opportunity at the same time tackling poverty what would you add to the debate because it's a really brilliant opportunity i mean we yeah. are looking at this and saying we do have a real opportunity to disruptively change some of it we've talked about education we've talked about yeah. the health sector there are so many things that we could do differently yeah. if we start that debate properly so i'm a hundred percent behind what uh, tom hunter's doing here and i'd just like to know from your own perspective yeah. is there anything specific that you would add to the debate yeah, well, one thing that's that's come out of COVID is 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 what we've now been able to understand is how quickly the government can raise money, and substantial amounts of money, to prop up an economy that in there at that point in time they had no idea that it was going to and whether it's going to fall off a cliff or not. So the fact it's able to pull upon those resources and spend their money in the way they've spent their money. They should now, the public now will know, can, 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 can force the government now, you know, all governments really, to be able to say, look, we know you can get the money. We know you can put the resources in because you've done it before. Let's focus on the areas that are needed, such as poverty and education, which is critical uh, in Scotland, um, is to get its education system sorted out. Because there is so much inequality within the education system. And, and I'm not talking about the private you know, schools versus the state schools. I mean within the state school sector. And so it comes, from, I think it comes from education that poverty can be resolved and you can access through the children, access through education, I think, um, where the money needs to be spent um, in local communities and to tackle poverty. But yeah, that, that's where we need to be focusing the, the money into, into those areas, I think, um, because then we'll enrich our children and the children will have the confidence to, to go off in life. 
uh, and not get so focused on social media and uh, and, and uh, you know that type of thing and 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 start to yeah I mean I I just think there's a lot of things I think children I, I worked as a kid you know I worked as a child you know and and it didn't it it I I think that's what gave me what I've got is this getting up early in the morning five o'clock doing two paper rounds and a milk round. I just don't, I think a lot of children are mollycoddled too much now. I don't, I think they're too protective. You know, that I used to cycle five miles to school on a grifter, you know, through <laughs> Wimbledon, you know, all through the, through the streets, you know, there was an element of, you had, you know, of, of just go out there, son, and, you know, and, and do just, just be safe, try and be as safe as you possibly can. And I, I just think there's too much protection and there's, there's, there's not enough, um, I, I don't know. It's difficult, really, isn't it? I, I think uh, we live in a, a strange environment just now. Um, it's a little bit wokey, a little bit. I'm not going to get into that, but um, I, 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 I agree I, with you, by the way. Yeah. So OK. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I just I just think kids need yeah. to, 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 to know what it's like to, to have deal with some adversity. And I think yeah. if we can get our kids into if we can get our kids doing yeah. social kind of conscious sort of jobs you know sort of chari- more charitable jobs you know my, my the children that go to my, my kids you know they they they're, they're encouraged in their school to to work in um you know voluntary work in in sort of bernardo's or or, or things like that i think these sort of values need to be installed in 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 children um from schools i think um and I think we need to raise that. We need the money. The money needs to go into it. Uh, and 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 we can yeah. we know we know how to raise the money. The, we don't have to put the taxes up in the way that uh, the, the the fear is. It, we don't. It doesn't necessarily need to be that. The government can raise the money. We know they can get access it. Um, yeah. but, but I think there's something there that uh, it's around work ethic. Uh, is is the way I look at what you were just covering there, John. Is that there's something that. There's one thing about saying there's a person who's probably negatively impacted in a way they need a bit of a shoulder yeah. up or a lift up to help them. But there is this general feeling that people think they're entitled to get a job handed to them. Mm. So they get lazy with it because they don't, they, their, their lifestyle isn't that bad, you know, in terms of yeah. poverty. They talk about poverty these days and in this country compared to some other countries is not as bad as others but there are people who have this entitlement thought process yeah that, that are wanting it handed to them what's actually missing is this drive to go out and say i'm going to do something i'm going to go and get something mm. I, I want to work i'm i'm willing to work hard that's missing in, in a yeah. lot of the younger ones and yeah. it's not that they're not they could be like that it's just Somehow, either it's role model driven or it's uh, the, the environment's not right to to make it happen. There's yeah. something missing there. So on, the, on, that, on that note, can I just ask, uh, where do you think, you know, just exactly what Colin's asking, where do you think your uh, life motivation and your career motivations come from, John? Just my own childhood, really. I think my, my, my mother left us when I was five and dad was super strict and on the verge of bullying really you know so um and my i'm the youngest of three and, and from a very early age i felt that uh, i couldn't rely on anyone you know i couldn't rely on you know 
it, it, it's you know that that to me is what kind of being a bit of a self survivor and and not you know, that's why I moved to Glasgow. That's why I didn't care what anyone thought. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm going to move up there, and it's a challenge. You know, and um, it's about yeah, it can be difficult because you you you. It's just, it's just difficult uh, from my own childhood perspective. Um, you know. Uh, with difficult family issues and uh, from that I remember from a very young age that I I had to just look after myself mentally you know mentally you know you had rejection I had no mother there that was there for five years and then suddenly a father you never saw you know a father that was very very strict um, you know as I say uh, physically as well as mentally um, and you know you were on your own and so that 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 self survival kind of focus, and it's interesting actually. I, I, I'm my group of friends who I met in Scotland uh, that we go skiing with and various other things. They're all in their sort of fifties and some of them in their sixties now. Pretty much every one of them have had some kind of childhood issue. It's interesting. It's really weird. You know, we sat there one day in, on, on holiday, and um, and they're all they're all bus- they're all work for themselves. There's only one person in that squad of twenty. That, that actually was an employee of another company. Every mm. single other was an entrepreneur or had their own business, whether a locksmith, whether it's a car dealer, or wh- whatever it is, they all they all work for themselves. And it's interesting that every one of them had some kind of childhood challenge. Um, yeah, and it's a shame that, you know, that maybe you've got to have, a child has got to go through that process to get those inbuilt sort of strengths but but equally i think at the same time we can still teach kids those kind of um self i, th- I think that's a classic example of uh, of motive isn't it motive is yeah. determined at fundamental levels of pain and pleasure yeah <clears throat> and if you're in that level of pain that you want to aspire to something else you've got the motive in the first place to, to, to yeah. move on so it's yeah. an interesting concept because we could reflect on an awful yeah. lot of the guests that we've had kenny logan talked about going to school with a knot in his, t- his, his stomach just yeah. on the premise that he had dyslexia and he didn't want to uh, show and, and feel silly in the in his classroom so that was something yeah. that, that inspired him in, in other directions both the business people that we talked about willie yeah. hockey and ricky nickel it's yeah. similar type backgrounds very very yeah. uh, uh lower yeah. social class backgrounds and yeah. wanted to aspire out of those wasn't chasing money was what they were saying yeah. they just didn't want to be poor so th- there is that element of what you've said is that's a, yeah. a big motive to be able to inspire yeah. people you must have had some tremendous uh, highs and lows throughout your career and i just yeah. wanted to know if there was any specific ones that you would say that was a real career highlight and conversely, uh, when there's a low light, well, the lo- the lows are the the the, yeah, the the losing my friend John was the biggest low possibly could ever have. Um, the the other lows are the recession, obviously, and and trying to overcome those problems and uh, keep the business going. Um, and and taking the the, I suppose it's it's the pressure, it's the pressure off your workforce who who you know protect them from you know potentially losing their jobs and you know in in behind the scenes i'm working busy with the bank and working busy to look at reducing costs and putting new structures in and and at the same time trying to shield your your workforce from that so they're they're, they're difficult they're challenging times 
the highlights though lots of highlights you know um setting up my business was a was a big highlight um getting a, a check of legal fees from my lawyer when I defeated them in the court um, after that brutal session. Um, that was a big highlight. Uh, winning a very large, con- my first really super large contract, that was a great highlight. Um, handing over shares to, to to key workers, that's been, that was great because it proved that it worked, you know. <laughs> Um, buying my first, uh, making my first acquisition, that was a, a great highlight. Um, going down to London and picking up awards with the Sunday Times Fast Track Growth Awards, there's been quite a few of those as highlights. Just so many, to be fair. There's, there's, there isn't one in in particular. Um, and and I've actually, um, I went through a couple of years just recently of of thinking, oh, maybe it's time to to move on and. I'm in my fifties now, and um, and I was getting a bit stale. I was thinking, there's nothing else. I've, there's nothing else I can really do that's not I've not already done before. And 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 I've got a really good team behind me that I, I let them just run things and maybe play a bit more golf or spend more time, you know, doing doing things. And uh, but because of COVID, I've actually reinvigorated myself. I, I've actually got my 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 interest again back into sort of business and problem solving and um and finding ways of, of coming out of this in a in a, in a strong stronger way and a better way maybe you know um so yeah I've, I've, I've got another new lease of life um and um but my, my work-life balance is so much better than it ever was I was, I was i was literally um glued to the desk for for 20 years um and um and now i'm 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 working mainly from home and yeah, I'm able to sort of come and go, and life, life's, life's pretty good, so I can't complain. Quick question again that we ask all our guests is, the, the three people that have inspired you most uh, throughout your life, uh, John, if we can ask you. That's a difficult one. Um, I, no one, actually, I have to say. I, know, I don't want to sound <laughs> arrogant. I, I, I seriously do not want to sound arrogant. There are people I admire, um, uh, people I've admired over the years, Um you know, I really admired Margaret Thatcher for for not necessarily the reasons why a lot of Scots people hate her. It's it's just I admired her for for well, one she was a woman, um, and she was just had so much inner strength, and she was able to push back at you know the the kind of male dominated political scene in Britain and also in in Europe. And um, I, I I really admired that that strength, that fighting spirit that she had, um, and she actually did a lot of great things really you know um i admire people in the public eye that have gone on to achieve lots of really good things and and they've they've got their feet on the ground and they're really still humble i mean look at billy Connolly, for instance you know he's just a fantastic man you know so i i but i don't look at him and think i want to i want to you know my life i want to look do what he does or whatever it's just um i think a lot of the things that have shaped my 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 kind of work ethics and things are based on looking at how things shouldn't be done you know disagreeing with things you know that's why i didn't like school to be fair i hated school i thought the whole schooling system was all wrong constantly arguing with teachers constantly arguing with the system and um thinking i can do things better um so i I think i've been shaped more about looking at something and thinking What's wrong with it? What? How? Oh, being frustrated and wanting to do it my own way. Um, and, and so, I, I'm not influenced by people in general at all. 
I, I, I was speaking to somebody this morning and it's exactly that the point that uh, we were making was that Bill Gates said that he learned more from people that complained about his computers than those that yeah. actually turned around and said these are great computers. Exactly. And it, yeah. in some respects, we don't do that often yeah. enough. We don't have that power of reflection. Someone like Willie Hawley, though, I mean, you look at his career, fantastic. I mean, the size and scale that he has created from a Glasgow-based business is that he is somebody that somebody should look at, should should follow. Uh, John, what's the uh, best piece of advice that you've been ever been given, and what piece of advice would you give to the next generation? Um, I, I think I've pretty much covered. I suppose you know, just through you know, I just think always be alert and be you know, be just. I would I, I would say that, that okay. If there's one thing I would say is have a look in the mirror every so often and ask yourself what you see. And are you happy with what you see? Are you happy with your actions? And if not, do something about it. That's it. Look in the mirror every so often and ask That's yourself great. what you see. That's a great point. And that'll keep, you, that'll keep your feet on the ground. Because yeah. we all get caught up in the, in the noise, don't we? We don't see the wood for the trees. We get caught up in situations and we have to suddenly look at ourselves and go, I'm not happy about that. You know? and, and don't be afraid to say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, or whatever, and move on. Um, you know, so so I, I really do try and keep my feet on the ground. Uh, that that's what I try and do. And, uh, but also try and be the best you can be at something, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. You know, yeah. you could be the best at anything. You don't have to be a multi-millionaire, successful, whatever. As long as you're you're happy and um, and look after your health. You know, that's that's another thing. You know, um, yeah. I, I think look in the mirror is the one I would say. Look in the mirror and ask yourself, what do you see? John Hailstone, thanks very much for joining us here on the I Was Going to Podcast. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Colin.